Well, I won't take very long with this introduction because I've already mentioned that Paula Joy is here from the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, and we're so glad that you could be here today to give us an update and tell us what's going on at the different places. And so let's give her a welcome this morning, Paula Joy. Good morning, I'm glad to be here. And I didn't drive through rain, so I was happy about that this morning. But boy, it sure rained all morning. I'm in Mount Vernon, Illinois, so um, it thundered and poured all morning. So anyway, our grass was really drying out, so everything needs watered. I, um, I want to touch on what the pastor spoke about, uh, the Roe v. Wade. A year ago, we started praying at the Baptist Children's Home that the verse in Ephesians 3, uh, verses 20 and 21, which happened to be the year, um, that um, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. A year ago, I would have never believed that Roe v. Wade had been overturned this year, and I just praise God for that. Um, I, I'm excited. I haven't lived a life without that in place, and so this is new, new territory for us as a church, and um, I think here in Illinois, our, our job is going to be much harder. As we at the Baptist Children's Home have just opened a pregnancy resource clinic, uh, to help share truth about the choices that all women have um, and to, to let them know that um, life can happen and that, that um, resources are available to help those mothers and help, help those families that are struggling in an unplanned pregnancy. And it's an honor to be here. I think our, our look is going to look a little different now. Um, however, in our state, our job has just begun. Uh, we're going to have to be ready to serve families um, who have um, chosen abortion and who will choose abortion. We have seen that in the year that we've been open. We've had one young lady uh, come to us who was determined to have an abortion, but after seeking our care that we were able to provide, she chose life, and so that was really exciting. We also had another lady that came and um, uh, received our services, but still chose to have an abortion. We did not see her return after her visits. And so um, women are in a position where they think they have no other choice, where the hope of, of being able to provide for a child is just something they don't feel that they can do. My heart has been changing through this process as I learn more and more about situations. I've been very uh, pro-life, but I'm, I'm learning that people, when they're put in tough, very, very tough positions, it's hard to see truth. And I think we've all experienced that at times in our lives. And so uh, I've learned that one in three women have chosen abortion at some time in their lives. And that's an amazing number to think about. And um, uh, another statistic that we learned is 70% uh, of women who have chosen abortion claim some sort of church affiliation. So these are women in our churches, and as the pastor said, we don't talk about it. 
And so one of the things that I would encourage you to do is think about those who have chosen abortion at some time in their life. This affects men, this affects parents, this affects young ladies, this affects all of us. And it's something that we don't talk about. And my heart has been turning to think more compassionately about those that are in those situations and people that are carrying these heavy, heavy burdens throughout their lives. And I, we wanna share that God forgives and that he loves. And even though we have made poor choices at times, he wants to forgive us and walk with us. And just as the Sunday school teacher shared this morning, um, some of the things that he's experienced in his life, God wants to use those to help other people face difficult seasons in their life. And so I just wanna challenge you um, to think about that as we move forward. And the urgency is still there here, here in Illinois um, for the ministry of the Grace Haven Pregnancy Resource Clinic in Mount Vernon. Uh, we serve, we'll serve all people throughout this state, but we have a focus there on uh, the area counties that we are in touch with. Um, our Angels Cove Maternity Care Center is full. We've had six mamas, two babies, two toddlers, and I think four on the way. Uh, so we have been a full house for several months. We had one discharge this week, so we'll be bringing in another. We've actually had a waiting list, and so uh, we're thankful that we're able to provide those services uh, to young women who do not have a support system and uh, be able to teach them parenting skills, how to finish their education, and um, help them get a, a firm foundation in their lives. Pathways Counseling has been uh, really rocking. They've been serving all through the state. We've opened up telehealth communication uh, during COVID, and so now they're able to serve people even at longer distances away. And we are looking for counselors. If you know of Christian counselors, uh, have them contact us. We're looking for additional counselors in our areas. And then some neat things that have been happening. Um, we actually did have to uh, close down our pregnancy resource clinic for a couple of months. We lost some staff. And um, in the meantime, God was working. And it's through these scriptures that I know God is continuing to work um, above and beyond all we can ask or imagine. And so during that time, our faith adoption uh, worker, Regina Thompson, she has been with us 32 years, and she just felt a call on her life to go serve at the Pregnancy Resource Clinic. And she is a big advocate for adoption and, um, and pro-life, and so she has stepped over into the Grace Haven as the manager, and we have hired a new nurse and a new assistant there, and we have been serving people already. And so it's really exciting to see uh, the, the new newness and freshness and uh, what God's got planned there. We've had several people contacting us for services, and uh, so I think this week is the week that we'll be able to start doing ultrasounds. So everything we are able to do there is free pregnancy testing, ultrasounds, and free um, STD and SDI testing and treatment. And so it's really exciting to see this clinic 
um, up and running. And so that left our faith adoption ministry without a, um, a manager. And God just provided a wonderful Christian lady who has come right in. She has eight years experience and she has hit the, the door running. And she told me just this week, she said, I've got two um, uh, biological mothers wanting to place their babies for adoption. And that, I'm telling you, that hasn't happened that often uh, for us. And so it's exciting to see what God is gonna do through adoption. And we're happy to be a part of that. And then we have our Baptist Children's Home. And many of you know that we've had a difficult, bumpy season uh, there. We, we need house parents. Uh, we need um, godly house parents to step in and help us there. If, if you or someone you know feels called to that ministry, um, we're not concerned about age. We're concerned about ability and, and your heart for the Lord. And um, uh, we just want to challenge people to know that that part of our ministry is in need. We currently have, I believe, 10 kids. Uh, our numbers are down in comparison to years back. We have two cottages open, two girls' cottages. But I, I reminded uh, our people that we have 10 girls uh, that we can minister to more intensely and more faithfully and share the love of God with them while they're in our care. And so that's exciting. Our work is still very important. And I am in development and marketing, and we are looking for development officers to serve in this area, to be out visiting with churches and donors, to just keep people aware of our services and how important uh, they are to our, our state. Uh, we are in a battle. Um, our state does not care for the family. Our state does not advocate for the family and for family units. And so our job is more important today than ever. And so uh, we just covet your prayers over the ministry. That is one of the best ways that you can help us is to pray for our staff and pray for those families that we serve and, and just pray for the leadership that God would lead us in the direction that he would have us to go. I am still very hopeful and excited about the ministry. Um, every day you can see God working in, in one or two lives. And it's so amazing to see how he can take a life and turn it. At Angels Cove this year, um, the girls actually attend my home church in Mount Vernon. And uh, we had two girls saved. And it was amazing to see because they were sitting behind me in service and a very emotional song started playing that someone was singing and the girls they got two of them got up and they went out they said they had to get out of there i heard them you know and i said well the holy spirit followed them out because by the end of the service they were back up at the altar and, and surrendering their lives to christ now they've got a hard road ahead of them because they've got a lot against them. And uh, that, so they need our prayers that they would be able to walk, walk closely with the Lord and help them with some of their uh, issues that they deal with ongoing. One of the things that I wanna share this morning is how to come on mission with the Baptist Children's Home. You know, since COVID, things were kind of quieted down and, and we weren't seeing a lot of interaction with our churches and, um, Boy, the doors are opening today, and we are seeing people come in and come out of our ministries, and it is exciting to have, have people and activities happening all the time. And so we're challenging our churches to come on mission with us this year. 
to pray for us, to pray for, as I said before, our staff, our leadership, our families, and those in the state that need our services. Let them be aware that we're here and ready to serve. And then also uh, to give. You guys are uh, uh, in our top giving churches, and I celebrate that with you, and I'll present your pastor with a certificate, but we thank you for the ways you give and support the ministry, and that's, a, that's an important thing. We do not have receive any state or federal funding. Everything we do, we rely on churches and individuals who care for us and help us to continue to minister. And the other thing is to serve. Um, in this video, I hope your young people will see ideas and learn about ideas of how they can come on mission and serve with us. But one way to serve is through employment. Um, a lot of people don't think about us being a mission and that they don't have to go out of country to serve on mission. They can serve right here in the state. Volunteering, there are opportunities. You guys aren't too far away from us that you couldn't come down and, and volunteer with us or volunteer at our Mount Vernon facilities. And then also just think about ways that your church or your groups, your small groups or community groups might minister as well. There's ways to serve and we appreciate all the ways that people think about us uh, throughout the year. Fall Festival is September 17th. I wanna invite you all to come to that. If you wanna set up a booth, I already heard all your gifts and talents, balloon making and face painting. And uh, so um, come serve with us during that time. It's a great time. And then we are also doing a fundraiser for our Grace Haven Pregnancy Resource Clinic. We will have a dinner in October, and I'm just gonna leave some information with you guys up here on the front row. And then if you do not receive our newsletter, I welcome you to sign up for our newsletter. Just give me your name and address, and we'll start mailing that to you. But that keeps you informed of how your gifts are impacting the ministry. And uh, I just appreciate you guys and thank you for, you know, I'm always amazed at the smaller churches of their generosity and support. And so I, I thank you uh, for the way that you care about us and love us. And this is a certificate. It says in recognition for dedicated support and sacrificial giving to the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, ranking 10th in statewide giving for 2021. I'm a little slow on getting this to you, but we appreciate you guys. And if we can play that video. Hi, my name is Brooke. I want to share with you how my family is on mission with the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services. Let me introduce you to my big sister, Mackenzie, better known as MJ. MJ is the oldest of five children. MJ is on mission with the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, serving as a house parent for teen girls in residential care in Carmi. Residential means that these girls live on the campus. When you see all the girls together, you might mistake MJ for one of the residents. However, MJ has a big responsibility of caring for the girls as a house mother. You might say being a big sister has prepared her for her mission. MJ serves as a house mother to kids who are struggling with family relationships at home. The Baptist Children's Home works with both the kids and families to strengthen their relationship and reunite them again. Some of her duties are to prepare meals, help the girls with homework, 
lead Bible study, and teach the girls how to understand and manage their emotions. Many of the residents have been through some pretty hard stuff and find it hard to communicate those emotions without showing anger. One of her most important responsibilities is to share the love of Jesus with these girls, taking the girls to church and simply showing them God's love through grace and forgiveness when they mess up and celebrate when they accomplish their goals. When asked, MJ will tell you that her plans originally were to serve overseas on a mission field, but in preparing for her mission field, MJ did an internship with the Baptist Children's Home, and it was then that she realized God had another plan for her. He wanted her to serve on mission in the States with the Baptist Children's Home. These are my sisters, Bristol and Hattie. They are on mission too. Today, we are setting up a lemonade stand at our church to raise money for the Baptist Children's Home. This is my brother, Jarrett. He is helping us set up. We're all pitching in to help on mission. It doesn't matter what age you are, you too can be on mission with the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services. Together, we can help other kids and families learn about God's love for them. How will you go on mission with the Baptist Children's Home and Family Services? Let's give Paul a big hand. We thank you for coming and sharing with us today and uh, the work that you do in spreading the news about what the uh, Carmine Baptist Children's Home and Family Services, what it does for children and for families. And it's uh, much appreciated that you are here today. So thank you very much. If you have your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I love to talk about God's grace. Did you know that? <laughs> you may have seen that in me before, but I love to talk about God's grace. We're going to do that today. We're going to talk about God's all-sufficient grace, and it is sufficient. It's sufficient for every person who would turn from their sin toward the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And we're going to encounter people like that. As you go on the streets, as you go about your work, as you go about... Um, playing golf or whatever you like to do, you're going to meet people who need to understand and know about God's grace in their life. And it is sufficient for every need and for every person. That's one thing I like in speaking about God's grace. It is powerful. It is life-changing. And it is something that we desperately need. So let's go ahead and read the scripture for us today. Let's go ahead and stand as we read. We'll be in, as I said, Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. And we'll probably mention the surrounding verses as well. But for now, this is one of those times where I feel like just reading the scripture and sitting down. <laughs> because it, it speaks so eloquently about God's grace and about our need. But I will have a few words to say about it afterwards. It begins, it begins by saying, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live sober, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for these words that you have given us today, eloquent words by the Apostle Paul, teaching us about his uh, experience of, God, of God's grace and how it is sufficient for everything that we need in this lifetime. And we pray that we might see that today as we go through the scripture and that you would teach us, that we would have courage to accept what you teach and the wisdom to apply it to our everyday life. And we ask all these things in Christ's name, amen. amen. Well, in many times when they teach you how to speak and be in front of people, they ask you to consider your audience and what the audience is interested in and what they need to hear. But this message is kind of easy because everyone needs to hear this message today. And it's irregardless of whether you're a Christian or not, if you're a Christian and you're here today, then I believe that you need to hear this message because we need to be encouraged from time to time about God's grace in his life because God's grace has more to do with our salvation than just the initial experience of our salvation. Amen. It has to do with our life after that as well. And so we need to be encouraged that God is still working in our life, even as we are followers. But especially those who do not know Christ today, I think it's especially important that you hear this message about God's grace. And we'll be talking about that and why it's so important for unbelievers to hear about God's grace. A little bit about the background of this book. Paul is writing this personal letter to a young pastor. His name is Titus. And Titus is a pastor of a, of a town on the island of Crete. And Crete does not have a very good reputation. I don't know if you've ever heard the word Cretan. It actually comes from the island of Crete and the people who used to live there. Uh, the Cretans have a reputation. They were known as liars, evildoers, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Does this kind of sound familiar? <laughs> it kind of describes a lot of people, doesn't it? But it especially described the Cretans. And Paul was really concerned because there were Christians among this church and he was concerned about God's honor and about God's reputation. You see, when we take upon ourselves the name Christian, we carry a lot of, um, how do I want to say it? Uh, we image forth, or we should image forth, what God is like to the rest of this world. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't always live up to what God has for us. And so the Cretans had this reputation. Paul's concern was with the honor and reputation of God. And the truth of the matter is, is that he's not being honored because the people on Crete who profess to be Christians are living as though they had never been saved. Uh, Paul tells them that they need to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in verse number 10. In other words, they need, they need to take to heart what the Bible actually says about a Christian. Because a Christian, when they first come to know Christ, they are drastically changed most of the time. We don't continue to live the same way that we have always lived when we come to know Christ. Our life has changed. We've talked about this many, many times before that when God saves a person, he gives us a new heart with new desires. And he gives us a desire to be holy and pure. And that's exactly what Paul says that the people at Crete should be, but they're not being it, being that way. 
Paul tells them how they ought to act in the first part of chapter 2. And I won't read down through all of this. I'll read some of it. But he tells them um, that they should teach what accords with sound doctrine. He tells them that old, older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love and in steadfastness. He tells the older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and children. They are to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And you see there, just a little bit of what he talks about later is that if we follow these instructions, then the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, it's gonna be held in honor. He goes on and he says, likewise, he urges the younger men to be self-controlled, to show respect in all respect, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. In other words, he's saying our reputation is important. We should look like this, but the Cretans were not looking like this. They were still acting out in some of their old ways before they had become Christians. Doesn't mean that they were not genuinely Christians at this point, it just means that they need to be instructed further in the grace of God. Now, as I read down through those things, it almost sounds like a list of rules and new commandments that they are to obey. Doesn't it? It just sounds like rules. I mean, that's what so many people say Christianity is. It's just a bunch of rules and regulations that no one can live up to. But they're more than that. These are not rules and regulations that if we do them, help us find favor with God, but they are actually gifts that come along with God's grace that we can accomplish if our hearts have truly been changed by God's grace. Amen. And so they are not qualifications for getting into heaven, but they are proof that a life has actually been changed. And that's what is so amazing about verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. That verse makes all the difference. It's the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation. God's grace has appeared to save us. That's amazing news, folks. Amen. I don't know if you're excited about that. Maybe I'm not presenting it that well, but this is exciting news. This is the only way that we can ever live up to the expectation that God wants to us. And really, it's not us who does the living up. It's Christ who did the living up on our behalf that when we place our faith and trust in him, then his righteousness is given to us. Amen. But God's grace has appeared to save us. We've talked many times about what is grace. It's God's unmerited favor. It's his love and kindness to sinners, even though because of their sin against God, they deserve just the opposite. It's God giving us kindness and love when we as sinners deserve just the opposite. We deserve not to be rewarded or even given access into heaven, but we deserve punishment and judgment because of our sin against God. 
I think the perfect example of this and the perfect example of grace, by the way, is also Paul's conversion. You guys remember Paul's conversion. Paul was Saul before he was Paul and he was a Pharisee and it was his habit and it was his joy actually. And he felt like he was being zealous for God if he could only find Christians and persecute them and take them back so that their ways might be changed. I don't know if his plan was to send them through some kind of indoctrination, but he surely wanted them to recant knowing Christ. And he was on the road to Damascus with letters for the Christians to do that very thing. And God made a, a tremendous appearance to him. It was because Paul deserved it, right? He deserved a second chance? No, he didn't deserve a second chance. He didn't deserve the first chance. But he appeared, God appeared to Paul, and all of a sudden, Paul was humbled, his heart was changed, and now he was the Apostle Paul after he had received some training and further guidance. This is God's amazing grace that can change a person who one minute is headed on a road to Damascus with letters of judgment against a Christian and the second second his heart had totally been changed. This is the grace of God. It's his unmerited favor toward sinners. This was God's unmerited favor toward Paul because he had a purpose for Paul. He knew that he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles and that he would traverse most of the known world at that time to spread the gospel. But this says that grace has appeared. We know that grace is, is something that God calls his unmerited favor toward us. But also I think in this verse, when it says grace has appeared, it's talking about a specific person, right? It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who brought grace with him. It's the Lord Jesus Christ whom John calls the truth and grace of God. And so Jesus has come to offer a way of salvation to all who would believe and trust in him. It is conditional. <laughs> it is a conditional covenant. But it is, it is a covenant whereby God provides all the conditions of the covenant. Grace has appeared. How has grace appeared? It's appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. It's important, I think, to note that God has always been a God of grace, even though Jesus has shown up now and he's walked this earth and he's shown grace and truth to his disciples. He is grace and truth, but God has always been a God of grace, even in the Old Testament. And so many times people get this wrong and they think that God was a, a God of judgment in the Old Testament and somehow, somehow he miraculously changed in the New Testament and becomes a God of grace. No, he is a God of grace and a God of judgment all the time. <laughs> but it's easy to think of him as a God of judgment because I think many people think back to the time when Joshua was taking the people into the promised land and they had many battles with many of the sites that were in there, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, and all the other sites, the termites. And... <laughs> but God was not being just a God of judgment. Yes, he did judge those people. 
But he also showed tremendous grace to the nation of Israel, allowing them to come into the promised land when they didn't deserve it, when they continually turned their face away from him. God showed his grace when Adam and Eve sinned against God, but he provided a skin covering for their nakedness, for their shame. That's the beginning picture we see of Jesus who would come. God showed tremendous grace to Noah when eight persons were saved from a flood by God's grace. They were not perfect. Noah was declared as being righteous, but that doesn't mean that he was perfect. He still had sin. It means he was in a believing, repenting relationship with God. But eight persons were saved from a flood by God's grace. Abraham was shown God's grace when he was selected to be the beginning of the nation of Israel when he was not a perfect person at all. In fact, we see Abraham lie. We see him be a, a person who lacks faith and patience with God. And so God has always been a God of grace. But there's a verse in Galatians that kind of brings it home to us. And it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that he might receive, so that we might receive adoption as sons. A tremendous verse. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as Jesus, as sons. Jesus is the grace that has appeared. Amen. Amen. He's full of grace and truth. John 1, 14 to 17. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's so important what Jesus did for us. We've talked about this before, but Jesus lives a perfectly sinless life. Think about that. Think about what that must have been like, how tremendously difficult that must have been, been for him to do that. Jesus made a sacrifice in doing that that I don't think that we can fully understand. And then, even though he was perfectly sinless and the last person who should have been judged, he was condemned on the cross, taking our sin to the grave with him. So we see Jesus hanging on the cross, but he's not just hanging by the weight of his body, but he has the weight of all of the sin of the world upon him as well as he hung on that cross. And Jesus died, taking our sin to the, to the grave. You know what comes next, right? Death could not keep him, Jesus, in the grave, right? Amen. Death could not keep him in the grave. He had no, not actually sinned himself, and so he was able to defeat death, and all who place their faith and trust in him can be reconciled with God because of his righteousness. And so my admonition to you today, if you're here and you've never been, never uh, given your life over to Christ or surrendered to Christ, is to be saved today by God's redeeming grace. This is his redeeming grace. Redeem just means he purchased you back for his own possession. And so place your faith and trust in Christ today. 
Secondly, God's grace has appeared to train us. Uh-oh, that sounds like work, right? Sounds like work, but it's spirit-empowered work, right? It's not, it's not a work that we do by ourselves, but it's a work done by the Holy Spirit. And sadly, many people stop after the first aspect of this grace, God's redeeming grace, and they never go further on in their life and enjoy this training in godliness that God provides for us. We should not settle for less than the full measure of God's grace and salvation. Let's believe God for every good thing he has provided for us through Christ's death on the cross. Wouldn't it be a travesty if we left on the cross the things that God had purchased for us and not taken advantage of them? But sadly, that's what some people do. They stop, they receive Christ, they maybe join the church and become baptized, but their growth stops there. Grace was never intended just to do that first part, the redeeming grace. Grace also trains us. We are to grow in grace, right? From first Peter, I think second Peter. We are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in second Timothy chapter two, it tells us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So how does grace train us? Well, first of all, it's work of the Holy Spirit by God's word, amen? It's a work of the Holy Spirit by God's word. We look into the word of God, we see where we fall short of God's commandments, and we repent and we turn toward God in worship. That's the pattern that we follow. I know that may seem a little bit uh, maybe it's a little bit difficult to understand, but really, it's just as simple as opening God's word, reading it every day, making note of all the blessings God has given us, but also writing down where we fall short and repenting of that and turning toward God, wanting to do better. And God is such a forgiving God. We fail every day, don't we? <laughs> we fail every day in some way, and God forgives us when we go to him. But God, grace does train us. I wrote this down when I first did this sermon. It says, because our love for God, because of our love for God, we feast on his word, which nourishes our soul. As we do this, the Holy Spirit convicts us of areas in our life that do not bring honor to Christ. We repent of our sin and look toward the cross of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins through the grace that God has shown us. As we praise God for his grace toward us, we grow strong in his grace and our love for God increases. As our love for God increases, we no longer want to commit those sins that we mentioned earlier. By God's grace, we don't keep acting like the rest of the world. It says very clearly in the scripture that we read today, verse 12, that we are to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We are to renounce ungodliness, or another version says irreligion and worldly passions. Godliness is not a, it's not a word that we hear a whole lot anymore, right? But really is part of the Christian life. It doesn't mean we become little gods, but it means that we become more like Jesus Christ. We become more like God. We are more able to image forth 
God to the rest of the world who needs to hear desperately about God. We're to renounce ungodliness or anything that would keep us from appearing as the image of God before men. The Bible very clearly tells us what ungodliness is. I looked up one of the scriptures that I didn't have in my notes. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are kinds of things that we are to avoid and not do those things and act like the rest of the world with its worldly passions. We don't get entangled in the evil things of the world that keep us from the things of God. I like the way Jake put it earlier. He said, I don't know if I can remember exactly, but sometimes we get so many earthly things in our heart, there's no room for God in our heart. And there must be a room for God in our heart. I think it's about time that the church be what Christ saved her to be. Amen? And be the witness that we are supposed to be. And I'm thankful that I'm at Freedom Baptist Church where we take this seriously. So we are to be trained to be pure people of God by his empowering grace. So his, we have his redeeming grace, which purchases us for salvation. We have his empowering grace through the Holy Spirit. And then finally, God's grace saves us from the presence of sin. Jesus is coming again. Amen? Jesus is coming again. Let's look at the verse again. It says in verse 13, it says that we are to be waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his possession who are zealous for good works. Man, that last verse is just hard to get away from, isn't it? Jesus died for a purpose. Going back a little bit, he, go, he, he, he redeemed us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good, good works. So a Christian, a new Christian, is not to continue in their old ways, but they are to continue in the ways of God. God's grace saves us from the presence of sin. I kind of got hung up on verse 14, but let's go back to 13. We are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's deliverance. He will save our mortal bodies from judgment when he comes for us, right? Amen? He's going to come for us. He's going to deliver us from these bodies which cause us so many problems. And we are to be ready for when he comes. 1 John 3, 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We are to purify ourselves and work for the kingdom until he comes. We wait for Jesus in God's persevering grace. We talked about this just a couple weeks ago 
talking about eternal security. But there is a persevering grace that God gives to us, to all true believers. And it's the grace that says, I will not give up. I will not give up. I will follow Christ to the end of my life. I believe that he gives that to every true Christian. So we have much to be thankful for, don't we, today? Thankful for his redeeming grace. We're thankful for his empowering grace and his persevering grace. Don't think that his grace was over when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but he continues to want to work in your life, empowering you to live the Christian life and causing you to do that for the rest of your life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank so much for this time. We thank you for your grace, which is difficult for us to accept. It's such a wonderful gift. We've heard it for many, many years, but when people first hear about this, it's a stumbling block for them because for many people and for maybe some here in this church, it's just so difficult to get over the fact that salvation is free to us and that we don't have to do something to deserve it. But that's what the word says. The word says that you have given us the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, your son. And all who trust and believe in him, surrendering their lives and turning away from their sin can have this inexpressible gift, this gift of salvation through Christ. So we pray today that you would, first of all, for us who are Christians, that you would help us to be very thankful that we have been saved by your grace, that we are being kept by your grace, and that you have empowered us to live the rest of our life through your grace. Doesn't mean we won't have trials and tribulations, but it means that you will see us through them. For those who might be here today who don't know Christ, we give this offer, the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. You receive this gift by believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he is Lord, trusting that he has paid the penalty for my sin and surrendering our life to you, to Christ. And when a person does that, their heart is changed and they become a new believer in Christ with eternal salvation as their reward. So we pray that as we go to this song that people who need to make decisions would do so, that if they need to praise you, that they would do, do so in their thoughts and in their singing, and that all would be done to your glory and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.